Chapter 31 of At the Time Appointed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jules Harlock of Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. At the Time Appointed by A. Maynard Barber. Chapter 31 An Eastern Home Within a few days, Darrell and his father were domiciled in the Jewett homestead, the physicians pronouncing it unwise to attempt to remove Mrs. Britton to another home. To experienced Jewett, who reigned supreme in her father's house, it seemed as though two vandals had invaded her domain. So ruthlessly did they open up the rooms for years jealously guarded from sunshine and dust. While her cherished household gods were removed by sacrilegious hands from their time-honored niches and consigned to the ignominy of obscure back chambers or the oblivion of the garret. Under Mr. Britton's supervision, soon after his arrival, the great double parlors which had not been used since the funeral of Mrs. Jewett some seven years before, were thrown wide open. Sally, the help, standing with open mouth and arms akimbo, aghast at such proceedings, while Miss Jewett executed a lively quick step in pursuit of a moth, which, startled by the unusual light, was circling above her head. Not only were the gaily flowered Brussels carpet and the black haircloth furniture the same as when he had been a guest in those rooms nearly thirty years before, but each piece of furniture occupied the same position as then. He smiled as he noted the armchair by one of the front windows, to which he had been invariably assigned, and in which he had slipped and slid throughout each evening to the detriment of the crocheted tidy pinned upon its back. The vases and the candlesticks upon the mantel were arranged with the same mathematical precision. He could hardly detect only one change, which was that to the collection of family photographs framed and hanging above the mantel, there had been added a portrait of the late Mrs. Jewett. Within a week, the old furnishings had been relegated to other parts of the house, and modern upholstery had taken their places the soft, subdued tints of which blended harmoniously, forming a general impression of warmth and light. Most of these innovations Miss Jewett viewed with disfavor, particularly the staining of the floors preparatory to laying down two Turkish rugs of exquisite coloring and design. "'I don't see any use in being so skimping with the carpets,' she remarked to Sally. If I'd been in his place, I'd have got enough to cover the whole floor while I was about it. Even if I'd bought something a little cheaper, a carpet with bare floor showing all round, it puts me in mind of Dick's hat band that went part way round and stopped. That's just what it does, Sally assented. I wanted to lay down some strips of carpeting along the edges, but he wouldn't hear of it. Miss Jewett continued regretfully. I suppose, Sally remarked sagely, 
It's all on account of living out west along with them wild injuns and cowboys so many years. Western folks most always has queer ideas about things. I never would have believed it to see such overturnings in my house, exclaimed Miss Jewett with a sigh, and if it twas anybody but John Britton, I wouldn't stand it. I wonder if he won't be telling me how to make butter and raise chickens and turkeys next. Maybe he'll bring round one of them newfangled contrivances for hatching chickens without ends, Sally ventured with a laugh, adding reflectively, I wonder why, when they was about it, they didn't invent a machine to lay eggs as well as hatch em. That would have been a saving, for the hens keep don't amount to much when she's settin', but they're powerful big eaters generally. Miss Jewett prided herself upon her thrift and economy. Her well-kept house where nothing was allowed to go to waste, her spotless dairy rooms and rolls of golden butter, which never failed to bring a cent and a half more a pound than any other, her fine breeds of poultry which annually carried off the blue ribbons at the county fair. She had achieved a local reputation of which she was quite proud. She would brook no interference in her management of household affairs, and, as she said, no one but John Britton would ever have been allowed to infringe upon her established rules and regulations. There had been a time when she had shared equally with her sister John Britton's attentions. It had been the only bit of romance in her life, but a lingering sweetness from it still remained in her heart through all the commonplace years that had followed, like the faint perfume from rose leaves, faded and shriveled, but cherished as sacred mementos. She had not blamed him for choosing her younger and more attractive sister, and she had secretly admired her sister for braving their father's displeasure to marry him, and now she was glad that he had returned, glad for his own sake that the imputations cast upon him by her father and others were refuted, for her sister's sake, that her last days should be so brightened and glorified, but deep within her heart, glad for her own sake, because it was good to look upon his face and hear his voice again. Sally's strident tones broke in upon her retrospection. There's one thing, Miss Jewett, I guess you needn't be afeard they'll meddle with and that's your cookin'. Mr. Darrell, he was tellin' me about the prices people had to pay for meals on them eatin' cars, diners he call em, and I told him there wasn't no vittles on earth worth any such price as that, and I up and asked him whether they was as good as the vittles he gets here, and he laughed and said there wasn't nobody could beat his Aunt Espy at cookin'. Miss Jewett's eyes brightened. Bless the boy's heart, she exclaimed. I'm glad they're going to be here for Thanksgiving. I'll see that they get such a dinner as they neither of them ever dreamed of. Darrell had won a warm place in her heart in his baby days with his earliest efforts to speak her name. Espy had been the result of his first attack on the formidable name of experience and Aunt Espy she had been to him ever since. Her father, Hosea Jewett, 
was a hale, hardy man of upward of seventy, hard and unyielding as the granite ledges cropping out along the hillsides of his farm, and with a face gnarled and weather-beaten as the oaks before his door. He was scrupulously honest, but exacting, relentless, unforgiving. He was not easily reconciled to the new order of things, but for his daughter's sake he held his peace. Then, too, though he never forgave John Britton for having married his daughter, yet John Britton, as a man whose wealth exceeded even his own, was an altogether different person from the ambitious but impecunious lover of thirty years before. He had never forgiven Darrell for being John Britton's son, but mingled with his long-cherished animosity was a secret pride in the splendid physical and intellectual manhood of this sole representative of his own line. Between the sisters there had been few points of resemblance. Patience Jewett had been of an ardent, emotional nature, passionately fond of music, a great reader, and with little taste for the household task in which her most practical sister delighted. Having a more delicate constitution, she had little share in the busy routine of farm life, but was allowed to follow her own inclinations. She was still absorbed in her music and studies when love found her, and the woman within her awoke at his call. After Darrell's birth, her health was seriously impaired. It seemed as though her faith in her husband, her belief that he would one day return, and her love for her son were the only ties holding soul and body together, and, with her natural religious tendencies, the spiritual nature developed at the expense of the physical. Since Darrell's strange disappearance, she had failed rapidly. With the return of her husband and son, she seemed temporarily to renew her hold on life, appearing stronger than for many months. For the first few days, much of her time was spent at her piano, singing with her husband the old songs of their early love, but oftenest a favorite of his, which she had sung during the years of his absence, and which Darrell had sung on that night at the pines following his discovery of the violin loyal to love and thee her delight in the rooms newly fitted up for her was unbounded and against the background of their subdued warm tints she made a strikingly beautiful picture with her sweet spiritual face crowned with waving silver hair Either Darrell or his father or both were constantly with her, for they realized that the time was short in which to make amends for the missing years. She loved to listen to her husband's tales of the Great West, or to bits which Darrell read from his journal of that strange chapter of his own life. "'You have not asked after your sweetheart, Darrell,' his mother said one evening soon after his arrival." as they sat awaiting his father's return for, from a short stroll. "'You are my sweetheart now, little mother,' he replied, kissing the hand that lay within his own. "'Does that mean that you care less for Marion than before you went away?' she queried. "'No,' Darrell answered slowly. 
I cannot say that my regard for her has decreased. I may have changed in some respects, but not in my feelings towards Marion. Do you think she still cares for me as before I left home? I hardly know how to answer you, because, as you know, Marion is so silent and secretive. I never could understand the girl. To be candid, Darrell, dear, I never could understand why you should care for her, and I never thought she cared for you as she ought. You know, mother, how I came to be attracted to her in the first place? We were schoolmates, and you know she was an exceptionally brilliant girl and different from most of the others. We were interested in the same subjects, and naturally there sprang up quite an intimacy between us. Then we corresponded while I was at college, and her letters were so bright and entertaining that my admiration for her increased. I thought her the most brilliant and the best girl every way in all my acquaintance, and I think so still. But, my dear boy, his mother exclaimed, admiration is not love. I don't believe you ever really loved her, and she always seemed to me to be all brains and no heart, one of those cold, silent natures incapable of loving. I think you are wrong there, mother. Marion is silent, but I don't believe she is cold or incapable of loving. She may or may not be incapable of expressing it, but I believe she could love very deeply and sincerely were her love once awakened. You know she has taken up the study of medicine. Ned Elliot told me she had been studying with Dr. Parker for about a year. Dr. Parker tells me she is making remarkable progress. I don't doubt it, mother. She will probably make a success of it. She is just the woman to do so. There never was any mention of love between you two, was there? Or any engagement? Darrell's mother asked, with some hesitation after a brief silence. None whatever, he replied, and then added with a smile, we considered ourselves in love at the time, at least I did, but as I look back now it seems a very platonic affair, but I thought I loved her and I think she loved me. You say, Darrell, that your regard for her is unchanged? Yes, the same as ever. But you do not think now that you love her or loved her then? No, mother, I do not and did not. Then, Darrell, my boy, someone else has taught you what love really is. For answer, Darrell bowed his head in assent over his mother's hand. For a few moments she silently stroked his hair as in his boyish days. Then she said in low tones, Answer me one question, Darrell. Was she a good, pure woman? Darrell raised his head, his eyes looking straight into the searching dark eyes, so like his own. My little mother, he replied tenderly, don't think that your teachings all the past years or the lessons of your own sweet life were lost in those two years. Their influence lived even when memory had failed. He bent and kissed her, then added, she was scarcely more than a child, not so brilliant, perhaps, as Marion, but beautiful, good, and pure as the driven snow. Hearing his father's voice outside, Darrell rose and, 
picking up his journal, opened it at the story of his love and Kate's. Then placing it upon a table beside his mother, he said, There, mother, is the story of my dream love, as I call her. Read it, and if you should wish to know anything further regarding it, ask my father, for he knows all. End of chapter 31